ora koutou, everyone. I'm Jess. I'm here to explain what the change in monarch means for the future of the United Kingdom. And to do that, I'm joined by Stuff's national correspondent, Andrea Vance, who is perfectly placed to give us a bit of a vibe check because she was quickly spirited away to the UK to cover this transition from the Queen to King Charles. Now, Andrea, if we start with the big, the dramatic question, has the Queen's death got people questioning the whole purpose of the United Kingdom? <laughs> Hell, Jess, you went right in there with the biggest question. Probably the United Kingdom is, is facing certainly post-Brexit and maybe ever. But uh, yeah, I can see why people are asking because Britain's lost the empire, which is indelibly associated with the royal family. And recently, it gave up its spot in the European Union, obviously Brexit. So with, without a doubt, post-Elizabeth, post-Elizabethan Britain, its global status, it's just ever diminishing. It's a period of sort of great uncertainty, great contraction, and that, you know, absolutely applies to the four nations um, of the United Kingdom, especially Scotland and Northern Ireland, and maybe to a lesser extent, I think, in Wales. Definitely, I think it's top of mind for the new king, King Charles III. Of course, Charles doesn't want, he doesn't want to be the monarch who oversaw the end of the United Kingdom. So I think he's going to work really hard at it, actually. Yeah, that's a great point. You you started your trip with some time in Edinburgh and you saw the procession with the Queen's coffin um, going to St. Giles Cathedral. There were thousands of people there to line the streets, but we know how um, the independence movement is in Scotland and it's, and it's building. So what was the vibe like among Scots that you spoke to? I think probably grief and loyalty were the most um, abiding sentiments. Thousands of people on the Royal Mile, this beautiful medieval street, and then I've never seen a crowd that size be silent. It's just, I, it's bare, I'm barely able to describe it. It was, it was really incredible. But then bear in mind that all those people that were there are a certain demographic. The most fervent nationalists aren't going to be there. They're not going to come and stand for hours to pay tribute to a Sassanac monarch. And this is, this is politics, okay? So you've got to talk about the opti- optics and, and the symbolism. A modern monarch is, has never died in Scotland, um, and, you know, it could never be proved. No one would ever confirm it. But w- was that an accident? Some of her subjects don't think that it was. She had this really great, deep love of the country. And Operation Unicorn and um, the events that happened in Scotland after her death were so carefully planned and detailed and extensive. She, You know, she was driven the length of the east coast of Scotland, a six-hour journey, and then Compare that with the journey to London where she was flown there. And then she lay at St. Giles's Cathedral so that people could come and see her and then the pageantry of the procession. And that is just really quite unprecedented. So maybe not really an accident. That's a really interesting point. I had not thought of that at all. Um, Charles, though, he's no stranger to Scotland. He went to boarding school there. He's got a bunch of houses there. Apparently he even proposed to Camilla on the um, on the Balmoral estate. So why don't Scots seem to hold him in the same esteem as they do the Queen? <laughs> well, <laughs> he loves a kilt too. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I mean, the Queen's love of, of Scotland was so obvious you know she really loved to spend time in and Charles is less so look he's Marmite some people like him maybe not as much as his mother and she he definitely has big shoes to fill but other people the sentiment is definitely shifting and and this week has definitely seen a like a really subtle shift in the way people view him definitely a lot of sympathy um people think he did really well he gave this incredible speech on ascending to the throne on 
gosh, I think it was Saturday night. Seems like a really long time ago. But yeah, this really reassuring speech that just hit all the right notes. Through all the years of her reign, the Queen, like so many generations of our family before her, found in the hills of this land and in the hearts of its people a haven and a home. I take up my new duties with thankfulness for all that Scotland has given me, with resolve to seek always the welfare of our country and its people, and with wholehearted trust in your goodwill and good counsel as we take forward that task together. Talk of Scottish independence never really went away after that referendum they held in 2014. Polls show about half of Scots would leave the UK if they were given the choice. But leaving the Union, it doesn't mean that they have to ditch the monarch. In fact, the prevailing idea is that if they did do a runner, they could still keep the king as head of state. They'd be like we are, here in Aotearoa. They're part of the extended family rather than that inner circle. Andrea explained why that's a possibility, and it all comes down to local politics. So the SNP is the Scottish National Party. Nicola Sturgeon is the First Minister. Before her, it was Alex Salmond. And their position is that that if Scotland was to become independent, if it was the Union, they would still retain the monarchy. Now, the interesting thing about that is Alex Salmond was very much a royalist. Nicola Sturgeon, earlier in her political career, was much, was almost definitely a Republican. And I think you can definitely see the SNP shifting more that way. But the official position is, is that if the people of Scotland voted in a referendum to leave the Union, they would still retain if it was happened under his reign, they would still retain Charles as king. There you go. We'll see if that actually happens. <laughs> if we move to your home home um, patch, Northern Ireland, I'm sure we can't possibly even like get too deep into um, the Northern Ireland, <laughs> Ireland relationship with the crown. But what is the <laughs> feeling on the ground there in general when it comes to the monarchy and whether it's an institution they want to be a part of still. Okay, well, no. <laughs> I, we need a whole maybe a year to, to, to break down um, Northern Irish politics. But I think if you look at all the numbers for all of the countries, uh, the polling, it, it really seems unlikely that this ascension to the throne of Charles, the death of the Queen, will, will herald any kind of practical change. In Northern Ireland, people got really, really excited in May when there was a, an election and um, I was actually there for the election. And it was a really fascinating time because Sinn Féin became the largest party. Now, that happened for a couple of reasons. They've been growing in influence and power for some time. But the reason that they were able to get the numbers this time was because the unionist parties split and fragmented and so basically split the vote of the unionists. So they're not very sensible in those terms, the unionists. And constitutionally, it's the British government who actually decides whether there's going to be a referendum or not. And that will only happen in Northern Ireland when the polling shows that a majority of people believe that it's time to become a united Ireland. And that's not the case right now. That um and that would have to be there would have to be consistent support, consistent polling for that to happen. People are saying that it could it, you know it could happen in the next five, ten years. I, I would say probably more like ten years than five years. It will definitely happen in my lifetime because of demographic change. There there are over time more nationalists um 
traditionally Catholics than there are Protestants who are traditionally Unionists. So it will happen eventually, but I don't think the change in the monarchy or the recent election will make that happen any quicker. And if we move now to what is kind of the quieter of the four nations, Wales, it's really interesting um, to see how they've been building or at least um, been promoting their identity in the last recent years. Much like in New Zealand, their native Welsh, there's been uh, a real effort to bring that back as there is with Te here. There's a lot of street signs over there. Anyone that visited Wales will know um, it's all over the place. What does that mean for their their identity and then their relationship with their new monarch, who was the Prince of Wales for 50 years? I don't know if that's going to help him. Yeah, I do. So I feel uniquely qualified to answer these questions because I, I am Northern Irish, but I've also lived in Scotland for a long time. And before that, I lived in Wales. So um, so I know I know all these places quite well. So in Wales, you're right, there is a really, really strong nationalist streak or sentiment in Wales. And, and it's um it's very... It's really poignant, actually, how that's developed and the pride in that nation, especially around the very beautiful Welsh language. But again, it's down to the numbers. So I should have actually said this earlier, but the most recent polls in Scotland, May, I think it was, suggested that 55% of Scots would vote to remain in the UK. So that came after um, Nicola Sturgeon proposed another referendum, I think, for 2023. So 45% of Scots said that they would opt to leave, which is it's actually the same result as the 2014 referendum. In Wales, so there was a poll in Wales last month, they found that uh, 53% support the UK. So roughly around the same as the Scots, the majority, but only 25%, so a quarter of people would definitely vote to leave. So kind of m- mixed feelings in Wales and maybe the sentiment isn't quite as fervent as it as it is in Scotland. So the numbers may not be there for any Republican movement yet, but that doesn't mean the royals are out of the woods for good. Andrea's senses they don't need to worry in the short term, especially with all the warmth and good feeling around the royals right now. There's been such an outpouring of love for the Queen and, you know, just a sort of a real pride in how the royal family have handled this and how Charles has handled this. Then, of course, you had the Jubilee earlier this year. So people are just feeling, I guess, a, a real loyalty and a real sort of sense of of gratitude and affection for the royal family and then of course there will be there will be the coronation next year they're talking about that's probably going to happen sort of spring or june time next year so i think i think we'll just sort of see a bit of a continued outpouring of of love and affection for the royal family i think coupled with that as well scottish nationalism and these countries um talking about the debate about attaining independence is it's just not top of mind for voters like recently there's uh, another poll suggested that only one in five Scottish voters thought that a referendum was a priority in the coming two years and certainly in Scotland and Wales these issues trail behind the NHS uh, the health system obviously and the economy problems with the education system and obviously the climate crisis as well these things are much more important to voters than than these long-running issues of, of nationalism. Thank you so much, Andrew Vance, for joining us and enjoy the rest of your trip. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Stuff Explained. I'm Jess McCarthy, and on behalf of executive producer John Williams, thank you for listening. You can find more Stuff Explained online at stuff.co.nz and get our latest episodes wherever you get your podcasts. 